Good morning, church. Pardon me as I try not to fall down the stairs. Goodness gracious. It's been a minute since I've been here. I've had a couple of weeks of absence, and then we had a week of terrible weather. It's wonderful to be back. Happy Easter. Um, this is my first time ever preaching Easter. I've been doing this for a little bit. Mike and I have been alternating, but it's just worked out in the, the, the cavalcade of weeks on and off that Mike has preached every one. I've never been able to, to never had the opportunity to preach on Easter. And one of the things that I've always loved being in the congregation on Easter is this recitation where I say he is risen and y'all say he is risen indeed. So I'm going to say it and then you can yell it back at me because I've never been able to receive this. I'm looking forward to it. Ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. It's everything I hoped it would be. Uh, not just that, but also the good news of that, right? Uh, I posted a little something on Facebook. I've been doing that as long as I can remember being in church. Like, it's just the, the, the way it's always been, but it is an awesome reminder and maybe we should do it more often as a church, I don't know, that indeed he is risen. A lot of times we can think that Jesus is not here and that, well, that was a thing in the past. Yeah, yeah, he's our savior, but no, no, he's alive. He is alive. He is, he is interceding. He's at the right hand of the Father. He is a living savior. He is risen indeed, and that is really, really encouraging. So today we're going to be in Zechariah still. A lot of times, years past, we've pivoted to a different message on Easter. The way we, we tend to preach is we go through a book at a time. It doesn't always line up to be a, you know, a wonderful Easter message. And a lot of times, uh, Easter is a time for a church to make messages very accessible, perhaps easy to understand. Today's message is perfect in that regard. The, the passage we're, we're talking about is in the Old Testament. But as we go through this, it ought to sound very familiar because it is about salvation. And the mechanism that he's describing is the way that Christ comes. The way that we interface with our Lord and Savior is being described in this passage. So uh, with that, let's jump in and then we'll pray. So we'll be in Zechariah 12, all the way to 13, but just the first verse of 13. It's the way it's broken up. Not sure why that is, but it is what it is. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please read along. If not, it'll be on the screen. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of the man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But, the sake of, but for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, the inhabitants of Jerusalem have, have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of the wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves. Then they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. So that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. 
On that day, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning for Haddon Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's great to be back in your house. It's great to gather in celebration of Resurrection Day, um, the day that completed all the prophecy fulfilled in many regards, everything we've been studying through Old and New Testament, where we see Christ suffer on the cross, bear the wrath, do us, lie in a tomb for three days, and then be raised back to life. It blew minds then, Lord, and I pray it blows minds today. We serve a risen Savior who is alive, and because of that, we are forgiven. We can gather here in your name and commune with you via your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in your sense of my prayer, amen. Okay, happy Easter. He's risen indeed where he did that part. That's good. And I mentioned this business about Mike preaching at Easter. Only because, um, you know, Easter is kind of a big day in the church calendar. Um, we see sometimes some familiar faces that we haven't seen in a minute. Uh, maybe some new people that just straggle in. You never know. Churches all over the city are going to be in the same mindset of uh, trying to get get a message put together that might be really, really appealing or, or exciting and sometimes we could trend maybe a little, I don't know, maybe a little too much in that regard to preach a, a very familiar message. Today's scripture, though, as it often does, this is, and Leah kind of mentioned this, it's surprising how often it aligns perfectly with Easter Sunday. Zechariah is not your typical Easter book, but God. This chapter specifically is right where we want to be. So let's talk about it a little bit. As we went through this, it kind of starts at the end times. Um, I know it's been a couple of weeks, several for me. But a couple weeks ago, where, where Mike ended in, in Zechariah 11 was sort of this notion of it's, it's going to be really bad. I'm turning you over to some pretty lousy shepherds, right? And that's what you want, and that's what you can have. But here what we see is this idea about the, uh, there's a means, that's a means to an end. And eventually, God's going to use Jerusalem to punish the world. These are his chosen people. They feel isolated, alone, and hopeless. They're getting lost in those feelings. They're turning to people that are making poor decisions. But this promise is what they really want to hear. Now, they might be like, well, that seems obvious. Like, of course, they just want to hear they're going to be taken care of. They're going to be mighty world powers. That's true. Um, But they want to hear that for themselves, not because they care at all about God or his machinations. They don't really care what God wants, but they do like the idea of being very powerful. We know this because they're willing to steal from one another, cheat one another, Do whatever it takes to garner money and power inside even their own walls. Putting up with terrible leadership, punishing family members, stealing them, and and, and harming their own community in an effort to get richer. Uh, Now what they're hearing perhaps is, whoa, boy, look at here. One day, the whole world's going to bow. Jerusalem will be used to basically incinerate all this. It says, Jerusalem will be a, a heavy stone, a stumbling block. The world will try and move Judah, but they'll fail. And this is going to make the world matter yet. They're going to come against try to come against the, this, this kingdom, and it's, it's not going to work out very well, and they're going to get even more incensed. And God's fine with that because he's not done. 
what he's talking about is these end times aren't going to be a piece of cake for you. There's tough times ahead. But just know that all of this is, I'm in control of it 100% through and through. We see some mentions here of blind horses and mad riders. If you've, if you've been following along, we've seen horses and riders, different colored horses, different types of riders mentioned all throughout these prophecies. They were sent out to do things. They wanted to go check on the peace, and they all came back and said, yeah, yeah, the world's at peace. It's good. Right? Uh, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You see this notion. But here what we see is God taking the power that was given to them earlier in prophecy back. The riders are driven mad. The horses are stricken blind. Lest you think that those, those horses and riders, which most agree that most likely represent various powers of the world being leveraged by God, now what God's saying is, I'm done with that. Yes, there, there was a time when I needed the horses and riders, when I chose, not needed, right, but I chose to have the horses and riders do this work. Not now. That is over. Horses and riders. Boom. Horses are blind. They're ineffective. The riders are driven mad. They can't do anything anymore. It's completely falling apart. Seeing these, powerful armies, seeing these powerful armies collapse will show the world. Now people are going to be paying a little bit closer attention. Wait, what's going on? I thought, the, this, I thought they were an unstoppable force. We can't believe what's happening. How, how quickly they got toppled. And the world will know God through Jerusalem. And this is a, a comfort to them. You are not forgotten. You are not alone. Know that. Believe that. And why? Because I am your God, and you are my people. And that should be enough. God protects his own. As he uses his people to bring wrath, he doesn't forsake them. Jerusalem will stand strong in its proper place. He talks a lot. We, we just talked about this in the Bible today about bringing people in. I will, uh, you know, I'll whistle for you, and, and, you'll, and you'll come. You'll know my voice, and you'll come in. My people will come in. I'm not going to forsake them. And the strength that they're going to stand in comes from God alone. Then we see this really interesting quote, that the house of David shall be like God. This is in verse 8. On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. It sounds like... Sounds like maybe somebody there maybe came from the house of David. Very powerful. <laughs> maybe somebody yet to come. Now, what they want isn't a savior. What they want is a warrior. We want the, the, the big rider, the one that's going to show up with the biggest sword, the biggest horse, and just start getting work done. Our, our mighty warrior king. That's who we want, right, everybody? Yay! We're going to be strong again. Mighty nations here in the world. They want the same power that the other nations crave. They don't want God's will. They're not really interested in that insofar as does it make us more powerful or richer or more comfortable. We're exiles and we're suffering and we don't want to do that anymore. We're tempted almost to go back into our captors' hands because at least living was a little bit easier there. And let me see something very interesting. They look upon him who they have pierced, they will mourn. And the way this mourning is described is not just any mourning. It's not like they're bummed out or, you know, they had to take a half day or compose themselves, but deep, sorrowful mourning. And we see God comparing it here as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Now, these would be very, 
These would be very tangible feelings for many people. Uh, in, in today's world, it's, it's shocking. It's always upsetting, don't get me wrong. But it'd be very shocking if somebody lost a child during childbirth or lost a mom during childbirth because we have pretty good health care that watches out for those sort of things. It's not bulletproof, I, I get it, but we have a lot of protocols in place to try to prevent things like that from happening. But in these days, <laughs> I mean, you, just, you never know. But the pain was the same. Pain was the same. And the morning that he's comparing this to for, the, for him who they have pierced is like mourning a firstborn child, an infant, sadness, deep, unrelenting, crippling. And he mentions that it, it's going to be isolated to each person. Each family will mourn themselves. Their wives will mourn, each by themselves. It, it isn't... It isn't a protocol-led mourning that they're describing here. This isn't a, a, a funeral service. This is walking away to go be by yourself and weeping, deep, sorrowful mourning. And through that, on that day, it says there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David. It's as if their mourning, which was given by God here, makes the beginning, this is grace and mercy, opened this fountain. And I'll tell you, this would have been quite confusing to the Jews at this time. It might be confusing to hear it now. I don't understand this. We're talking about fountains. We're talking about salvation. I don't, it's not connecting to me. I don't get it. We at least know that Jesus came to earth, lived and died. We're celebrating his resurrection today. Nearly everybody is aware of he, went, he died on a cross, and he laid in a tomb, and then he was risen. They don't know that yet. It's been prophesied here, and that's what we see in this passage specifically. But they'd have been like, what are you talking? Mourning over who? who? Who did we pierce? We haven't pierced anybody. You talking about our enemies? In some regards, yes. I assert Jesus is in this passage. The truth of Jesus, the resurrection, his death that we're celebrating today, is being taught to these exiles. Just like today, people want hope that is eternal. They may not say that they do, but they do. You want this. If I'm going to have hope, I don't want it to be for two hours. I don't want it to be for two weeks. I don't want to put hope in something that's going to disappear one day. I want hope in something that's eternal. And this chapter starts with the promise that God will save his own. He starts at the end for a reason. All this will be redeemed. My people, I'm going to, I'm going to use them to to basically wipe out the world and regenerate as I see fit the world around them. They'll take out every nation at my beck and call. Whore, this nation's a threat. They're a big horse with a crazy rider. Horse blind, rider mad. Next, easy money. It's no problem for God. I have you taken care of. They are never hopeless even if they are feeling hopeless. The God that is comforting them now is the same God we serve today, beloved. It is. If you feel hopeless, if you feel isolated, if you feel alone in God, you are not without hope. You may feel that way, but I've got good news. God is in control. After the promise of salvation that God talks about here, he explains how this works. He, we, we, we see him say, I'll pour out on my house a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy. They will pierce someone, and that person will die. Now, they, that's we, that's the Jews, when we figure out, well, I didn't really pierce him, did I? I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't even there. That would have been their argument as well. 
But the more we know about Christ, the more we understand that he died for the sins of all. All whom God has chosen. So yeah, my sins are in that cup that he drank from. But through that we see God granting a spirit of grace to his people. And the grace is what convicts them of what they've done. The same conviction that he's talking about here is a conviction we can have today. And this conviction will happen to groups of people. But the conviction is personal. This isn't a, which would have been a big departure. Now, we don't do as much of this today. We don't talk about our tribes and our, I don't call myself, you know, Chris of Martinsville or that sort of thing, right? It's, I've got a last name and it's arbitrary. I go down to the courthouse, get it changed. But there was a time when, like, your family and your lineage was a huge deal. Um, not so much anymore, but in these times, it was very common to say, well, you know, I'm a Levite, so I'm in, right? I'm, I'm Davidic, the line, I'm good, I'm covered, right? Like, we're, we're, our whole line is good to go. I don't need to do anything. Uh, a lot of times we replace this today with other religions, right? We say, well, I'm a Catholic, and so my kids are Catholics, and that's covered. <laughs> I mean, I had a sprinkle, and they're done. What we see here is this is not how this works. This morning is something that is definitely spreading amongst all the people, and it's going through all the families and everybody. But it's a very personal exercise. This isn't salvation by association. It's not your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or your ancestors' faith. Their salvation is theirs. Their mourning is theirs. Each will mourn for what they have done. And they mourn because of the one who was pierced. When we think, when they think, when the people between the, 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 the exiles here and us today have thought about this, and you reason this out and you say, yeah, I do believe that Christ is real. I believe he's the son of God. And if he paid for all sins, including mine, then what have I done? But yet I'm already forgiven. I don't deserve it. I can't believe it. And it brings us to mourn. He died for me. While I was still sinning, he died for me. I didn't even know who he was yet. And he's already paid for those. Once you're convicted, repentance is inevitable. This is where we see in this passage a fountain being opened. Through their repentance of their actions, they are cleansed. The mourning, the holy sorrow, if you want to say that. If you're really sorry about something, and everybody's going to be able to relate to this. If somebody, if you ever dealt with like kids especially, right? There's this rote, I'm sorry, like... Did you set fire to that? Oh, I'm sorry. And they do it again. Like, are you really sorry? Like, you don't seem sorry. You're, you're sorry you got caught, but you're not sorry you did it. Well, same difference, right? No. What we're seeing here is this notion of sorrow, this deep sorrow for mourning, is a sorrow that is changing you. I cannot believe what I have done. I cannot believe the price that was paid for what I have done. And I want to do things differently now with the help of that person who saved my life. There's a, there's a very romantic thing that's in tons of stories about, you know, if someone saves your life, you owe them a debt. You see this cited in movies occasionally, hey, I, I'm, I'm your slave now. I was doomed to die and you saved me, so now I, I serve you for the remainder of my time on earth. That romantic notion is exactly what we see described here. Other people have glommed onto this and put it into fiction and other stories, but the reality is the same thing. When somebody saves your life and you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that without them, you were dead, it changes you. 
I think there's a lot of people today that hear this story and say, I guess he saved my life, but you don't really believe it. You don't understand the depths of your sin. You don't understand what Christ did. That is what we're talking about here. Through that sorrow, that desire to change, that understanding of who Christ was, they're cleansed from all sin and uncleanness. It's, go- it's gone. All of it's removed from them. They're free from their guilt that they just mourned over. And this might seem, well, that's kind of ironic. It is in many regards. The, 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 the sadness of what has happened that brought you to your knees, once you understand what Christ has done for you, that sadness leaves because it's been done. That's good news. So you might be thinking, how is this an Easter passage? Well, today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The truth is, well after this prophecy has occurred, he drank fully from the cup of God's wrath that was due for us. He suffered a great deal physically in this world. Don't get me wrong. If you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ or read the descriptions of what he endured as a man on earth that day, it's horrific. It's horrific. Absolutely horrible. Turn your stomach. But that pales in comparison to facing the actual full-fledged wrath of God due for all sin, for all mankind, for all time. But he overcame death. And because he lives, eternity is open. Eternity. Not just a happy few minutes here, not just a mountaintop and that. I'm talking forever. Where we're at here in Zechariah 12, God's talking about the end of this, right? The final phases of Jerusalem being risen back to power. The kingdom of God being restored. And with that are all God's elect spending eternity with him. God leads us to mourn for our actions because he paid for all of them. Every sin. We just sang about all these things today. Great song choices as usual. Right? But if, if, you, if you read those words as you're singing them and you think about what we're just singing... It's everything I did, every thought, every action that was sinful, everything that was my desire, not God's, all have been paid for by Christ if I'm in him. And this is good news. Even in Zechariah, God's plan was to always come and die. This wasn't a plan B. It wasn't something that God had to pivot real quick. They look on me, on him who they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. Piercing, happening. It is going to happen. There is one who will be pierced. And because of the mourning due from that event, all the things that led to it, a fountain is open. By his wounds, we are healed. And by God's grace, we repent and are saved. That's saved from the wrath of God. Saved from death. Christ has done all that. By God's power, we can face every single day. Every day. New challenges. Sin, repent again, try it again. But God is in control. God has done what needs to be done. So what about us? Life can be daunting and hopeless. If I were to take a survey, has anyone ever felt daunted and without hope? I imagine every hand would go up. I know mine would. And we may feel like we are exiles even when we're home. There's days when everything looks okay. Um, You know, hearing a a lowly person in the middle of Martinsville, Indiana... You know, you see perhaps the, the way others live that maybe have, don't have the concerns that you think you have. Well, I got money troubles, but they don't. You know, I got relationship issues, but they don't. You know, my, my kids are, are, are driving me up a wall, but their kids are always so well-behaved. You know, you know, it's just it's so frustrating. 
But then when you get on the other side of that fence, you realize they've got the same exact thing. My life was so complicated to get all this money, and they have, they have such a simple life over there. <laughs> it never ends. Trying to make our home here is very, very, very difficult. It will never, you'll never end that process. If you ever wonder why people that are very rich and famous take their own lives, it's because there's no hope there either. Money, no hope. Property, no hope. Fame, celebrity, no. There's no hope. Seems like there might be hope, but there is no hope. The hope, the true hope here, comes from God. We may feel hopeless and vulnerable, but God, God promises it just like the Jews in Zechariah, that he's still in charge. If we feel isolated, if we feel lonely, if we feel completely battered and broken and destroyed, if we are in God, we are covered. We turn to him. We cast our cares on him. You might think God's in charge without a single doubt. I will tell that a hundred thousand times. There is no question in my mind that God's absolutely in control. If you feel like you're calling all the shots, eh, you're fooling yourself. We've studied this a lot here in Zechariah. We see tons of people being brought up into power, thinking they're doing something very clever on their own, but in reality, God's still sovereign over that. He's put them in position. The things in your life that are great, God's sovereign over them. The things in your life that are horrible, God is sovereign over them. The doubt, the loneliness, so sovereign. Sovereign over all of it. These passages demonstrate it all the more. God knew then what he would do, and we're here today because of it. I can tell you right now, I stand here because of the work of Christ on that cross. Nothing I did. Nothing I did. How does it work? Everything needed for your salvation has been done. We know it's good. It's covered in the Old Testament. It's fulfilled in the New. It's finished. When Christ said it is finished, those words, <laughs> you talk about like, resonating through history. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, that is the good news. It is finished. Everything needed for your salvation has been done. There's no more, I got to tidy this up. I need to get this in order. No, it's ready to go today, right now. God moves us to repent for our sin and we mourn our actions and commit to avoid them. When you are in Christ, there is a desire to do better, of course, but not because you're earning your way to heaven. It's because you want to emulate your Savior. You want to follow the instructions of that person that saved your life. You become committed to them, indebted to them by your choice. God opens a fountain that changes us, makes us holier and holier. That's not on us either. This passage that we study today doesn't end when on, on their day there will be a fountain open, and then, uh, then, by thinking about it, they'll go home and cleanse themselves. No, the fountain... Open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. The fountain does it. That fountain that changes us makes us holier and holier. The $10 word for that is sanctification. It's a process. It begins the moment you say, this is true. There was a man pierced. Pierced for me. For what I did. And I feel bad about that. Really bad about that. And I think I want to do better than that. But I don't think I could do it on my own. If that's where you're at, you are in the right place. Let the fountain do the fountain's job and be overjoyed and worship what God has done to bring us here. The fountain is saving faith in Jesus Christ. And you'll notice they don't build the fountain. They don't manifest the fountain. They don't construct it like the temple. This is something completely from God. God opens it. 
When God decides it's time to be open, the great news for us is it's open today. This time has come. Jesus' work has been fulfilled. If it seems too simple, thanks be to God. It's simple on purpose. There's a lot of folks all through time and history. And God clearly didn't want to put a bunch of hurdles where you had to pass a test and demonstrate something, jump over this bar, do 100 sit-ups, none of that. I can tell you, though, there's a treasure of knowledge and wonder in the Word of God. Coming to Christ, understanding that sorrow, that mourning, should draw us to a place of wanting to know our Savior better. I want to, I want to learn more. I want to understand the fullness of Christ. I want to understand as much as I can about God and Christ and the Holy Spirit. I understand that dwells in me. I still don't understand what that means. It's all in the book. It's all in there. We study it every week, not because it's, we're required to do so to get into heaven. That's not why. It's because we want to learn more about God who has done everything needed to get us into heaven. So please don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. And as usual, if you'd like to talk further, or if you have any questions, we'd love to talk to you. Anybody here, I'm sure, would love to talk to you. But Mike, myself, all day, guaranteed. Please don't leave with questions. So we'll end with this. Call to action. Hasn't been up there in a minute. If you're called to mourn, if you're hearing this, you're thinking, that's me. I want to do better. I believe this to be true, and my heart's broken because of it. Welcome to the family. We want to pray with you. If you're called to rejoice today, we rejoice with you. He is risen indeed, right? If you're in Christ and this is like, yeah, this is good news and I know it and I believe it and it's true and I'm on the path and today is a great reminder on Easter Sunday that yes, he did. He suffered and died and that's heartbreaking and that makes me sad. But then he came back and, and I'm experiencing that new life in Christ. I am a new creation, not just a cleaned up old creation. It's new. Then we rejoice with you. And if you're called to pray, we'll pray with you. Finally, if you're wanting to be called, but you don't feel called, if you want to be saved, but you're not feeling tugged in any way at all, maybe you think what I'm saying is true, but I can't, you know, you're describing a feeling of wanting to mourn. I don't have that. We want to chat with you about that. It's okay. It's okay to feel like I don't get it. I don't know if I want to get it. Kind of sounds like this is going to open a door that may be difficult to close. I don't know if I really want to commit my life to this. We want to talk about that. And I'll tell you right now, there's no secret magic words. There's no magic prayer that you can say that's going to, 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 to square it all away. It is 100% God working through you. God changing you. But we want to be a part of that. Please, talk, give, please, please just chat with us if you have any questions. We'd love to talk more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I thank you for a a beautiful Easter Sunday, Lord. It's nice to see the sun shining outside. It's great to see smiling faces here. For those that are listening online, Lord, uh, today or in the future, Lord, today we gather and we celebrate your resurrection, and we celebrate it by singing songs, by studying your word. And today, Lord, you saw fit to land us in a chapter in Zechariah in the Old Testament that describes your coming and your death and the manner in which through those processes we are saved. Lord, I pray that if someone here today is maybe hearing this idea for the first time and they're confused, Lord, that they'll take some time to at the very least think about it. Lord, I pray they'll reach out, Facebook Messenger, email, phone, text, in person, whatever it takes. 
We want to talk. We want to share more good news and answer questions as, as necessary, Lord. Tell them the truth of your word, the power within. Lord, I'm so thankful for what you did on that cross. I'm thankful for what you, what you did three days later. And Lord, I stand miraculously and undeservingly clean in front of the Almighty God because of the work of the Almighty God. And I do so, Lord, and I'm thankful with all glory to you. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the word that you give us that we can study week in and week out to learn more about you, who you are, what you would have us do, how we can interact in the world around us, how we can live lives that glorify you and better us. It's incredible, Lord. Thank you for this time together. And it's in your sense I pray. Amen.